Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program designed to bring the educational issues of the day and educational leaders to you uh, as we discuss uh, what's happening in education. And usually it's a New Jersey issue. Today it's going to be more of a national uh, issue, uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But if you want to call in to ask a question later on, you dial one three four seven nine eight nine. 8904 and press 1, and Mike, who's working the switchboard, will take your uh, question, uh, and then we'll put you through. Uh, also, you can register with Blog Talk Radio, uh, and you can join our chat room and ask questions that way. I'll pass them on to our guests. Um, this January, uh, as I think uh, everyone knows, we have a new president, President Donald Trump. Uh, and with any new presidency, we you have new changes in philosophy, changes in uh, priorities, uh, in education no different, even though I don't think education, from my view, was a top issue in terms of the presidential race uh, to those of us in education. It is important, and, and there will be some change in direction. Uh, joining me uh, is Deborah Rigsby uh, with the National School Board Association. Welcome, uh, Deb- Deborah. Thank you. Thanks for having NSBA on your podcast. Yes, uh, and before I go, uh, most of our listeners are from New Jersey, and, they, uh, and they're board members, but they may not be a little bit familiar with National School Board Association. Um, just tell us briefly uh, who you are uh, and what you do. Sure. Well, National School Boards Association represents our state associations, including New Jersey State School Boards Association, and we advocate on behalf of all school boards. Um, our legislative priorities this year include child nutrition, reauthorization of the Career and Technical Education Act, the Carl D. Perkins Career and Technical Education Act, federal education investments such as the Title I grants under the Every Student Succeeds Act, and also supporting the range of public school choice, the, the choices that uh, our school districts already provide in, in their curriculum. So this is, 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 is the agenda, and as you all know, and, and uh, with New Jersey School Boards Association, our president this year is, is Kevin Syak, who uh, is, is definitely leading this charge. So um, it, it, we've been involved in, in, in education policy since uh, the 1940s when NSBA was, was formed uh, through the state association. So the uh, mission is to advocate for uh, equity and excellence in public education. All right. Uh, before we get into the issues, and we'll be going through choice, funding, IDEA, ESSA, and, and I'll probably remind you, for a lot of our listeners, especially if we, I was just using acronyms, we'll, we'll say what they mean. Uh, but there's two players. Um, who are the important players in terms of the Congress that um, that uh, our members should be aware of, uh, what, you know, and what committees do they head? 
Sure, sure. So for education, definitely the House and Senate Education Committees. Um, it's the House uh, Committee on Education and the Workforce, and uh, in this Congress, this is chaired by Congresswoman Virginia Fox of North Carolina, and the ranking member, our, our senior Democratic member on that committee is Representative Bobby Scott of Virginia. In the Senate, it is uh, Senator Lamar Alexander, and many of you may know that or remember that he is a former Secretary of Education himself. And he heads the Senate Education Committee. It's the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee as well. And the ranking member is Senator Patty Murray of Washington, who happens to be a former school board member. Also, um, in terms of committees that are uh, over the budget and funding for education programs, we have the House and Senate Budget Committees and also the um, Appropriations Committees. Appropriations Committees are, are the committees that once the budget is established, um, the House and Senate appropriators then work to, uh, within the, the budgetary guidelines, to allo allocate specific uh, levels of funding or, or, or areas of funding to education programs. And this is the range from pre-K programs such as Head Start, to uh, a higher education, and so of course, uh, all of our programs fall with, within that that uh, rubric. There, other uh, oh. committees in Congress are the House and Senate uh, Commerce Committees, Energy and Commerce Committees. They have a role in education technology, and they oversee the E-rate program, which uh, a number of school board members are aware of. This E-rate program provides about $3.9 billion in subsidies to our school districts and libraries for Internet access, for broadband and other services uh, that connect our classrooms and students to uh, the Internet and online learning and distance learning opportunities. So this is key as well. Uh, and I, obviously I think most people know the other key player is the Secretary of Education, uh, Betsy DeVos. Uh, and I don't think we need to go through, you know, she just, she got confirmed by one vote. Uh, I think in general the concern from many in the education community was uh, her, she's a strong advocate for vouchers and school choice and her her background in the other areas wasn't as strong. Um, so, but I think today, uh, this week she was just given a, a new, uh, not a new direction, but she was given an executive order to deal with. Could you explain what that executive order is a little bit? Sure, I will. It, it really uh, helps to uh, underscore uh, the, one of the overarching priorities that our school board members and state associations have um, a long uh, championed, which is local governance. And this sort of uh, reiterates the theme of uh, the Every Student Succeeds Act and what the general principles were there when Congress um, uh, was, was going through the process of, of writing the law and, and, and vetting it and negotiating it. And also, before we, we uh, get into the details of the executive order that was announced on yesterday, I also want to add that with the House Appropriations Committee, one of the members of your congressional delegation in New Jersey is the chairman of the House Appropriations mm -hmm. Committee, and that is uh, Representative Rodney Freilinghausen. So um, he is definitely a key player when it comes to education policy and, and the resources and, and appropriations to fund uh, the key programs. Back to the executive order, 
um, and I'm actually looking at it now. It's titled The Presidential Executive Order on Enforcing Statutory Prohibitions on Federal Control of Education. And it really emphasizes everything on the policy. If anything, based on what we heard from U.S. Department of Education personnel, there's an order to review all of the regulatory policy that the uh, Education Department has promulgated over the last several years. And it is to ensure compliance with uh, recently enacted laws such as the Every Student Succeeds Act. And does the policy, one of the measures there is does the policy, the regulatory policy, protect and preserve state and local control over curricula, programs of instruction, school district administration, um, schools, and every, is it consistent with the Every Student Succeeds Act? And then this review not only includes regulations, but also guidance documents as well. Some of our school districts and the chief uh, state school officers of every state, they, you may not receive uh, regulatory uh, uh, guides, but you also receive guidance documents such as letters from the U.S. Secretary of Education or the Office of Civil Rights within the department. And these are considered dear colleague letters or, or, or guidance. And so these are areas as well um, that the U.S. Department of Education will be reviewing. And it's to ensure uh, and really preserve state and local control or uh, community ownership of schools. And that's uh, consistent with the overarching priority that NSBA has, has really advocated for the last several years, and especially during ESSA. And uh, I'll get into ESSA a little bit more in detail uh, because as I follow with uh, the Secretary of Education, as I said earlier, her, one of her big uh, issues and where she made her mark was in school choice issues. Um, and now, President Obama himself was a proponent of charter schools. Uh, what would be? Is there any difference in the pro, uh, in, that you see at this point in uh, their vision for charter schools? Well, for one thing, based on what NS, the, the position our delegate assembly has taken uh, in National School Boards Association is that we support charter schools as long as they are approved by the local school boards. So um, what we're seeing with the previous administration and this one, it is an effort to promote school choice, um, but not with those uh, guidelines of authority to the uh, with local school board being the authorizer of a, of a charter school. It could be uh, a state entity or or, or other uh, authorities. So this is one area in, in, in where the, the policy uh, and the ideology is, is different. Um, also, in terms of choice, um, there's been a, a, a push for vouchers, and we have seen that with the recent uh, budget blueprint that the president uh, published in, in March. This was simply a, a framework, and we're expecting a more detailed budget uh, in May. However, there was one specific area where uh, the, the president called on, uh, calling on a $1 billion increase for choice. And it could be that it could be within the guidelines of the Every Student Succeeds Act. There is a section under Title I of that act, and that is the, the cornerstone of, of the law, 
where uh, certain uh, states and school districts can try a pilot project on certain funding to promote school choice and, and inter and district transfers, et cetera. Or it could simply be uh, a proposal to advance um, uh, uh, Title I portability that many of you remember through ESSA a year or so ago or simply a voucher. So that's something that people definitely are, are discussing and, and, and want to see more details about. Also, there was a request to Congress for, I believe, of $250 million for uh, charter school uh, advancement as well. So this is something similar uh, in terms of the allocation proposed for charter schools, but um, we're seeing that the administration wants to look at a, a range of choice, including that for uh, choice within uh, private schools. Okay, I have a couple questions in that area. My understanding was that the budget was actually for public education uh, from the, at the federal level was not going to go up and probably it was going to be cut. So where would this additional funding for vouchers uh, and charter schools come from uh, if they're not increasing <laughs> Well, I think a lot. That, that's where that is. Uh, that's that's something that that we would love to see. Um, we cannot. Everything now is 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 in terms of a forecast or speculative, and and what people have have sort of targeted as what could be a cut. But we've not seen anything specific, and I, I do want to stress that um, we expect a, a very detailed budget to be available in May. Um, what we have seen, just based upon the framework from last March, is that um, the $1 billion could be provided because of a call to eliminate um, uh, a, about a $1.14 billion program through uh, 21st century community learning centers. And this program has uh, been effective for years, and a number of our school districts operate 21st century community learning centers as well as uh, districts and communities and, and county governments throughout the, the nation. And it, it's very effective. It provides after-school tutoring, um, supplemental services that, stu that students need to really reinforce um, uh, the programs of study in, in school. And it, it, it has provided just this range of extended day learning opportunities. So this is something that is, is of concern. And people have stated that this $1 billion uh, proposal to cut the funding for 21st century community learning centers would be that offset for the requested increase uh, of $1 billion uh, under Title I for choice. All right, so that's something that we definitely should be, school districts should be, uh, school board members, and, and all school districts should be keeping an eye on as to how it's going, where the money might be taken from if it's taken from anywhere. Um, a couple more points. Right, right, and, and also another area that um, was that was listed in the March uh, blueprint was that the funding for the professional development, the training, um, a training for teachers on how they would handle student records and, and student data privacy, all of that falls under Title II of the Every Student Succeeds Act, and that is for effective school uh, leaders and teachers. Uh, it's formally called, it was formally called teacher quality, and um, this area of funding is about $2.3 billion, and 
This goes to our states and school districts for everything for professional development, um, helping uh, school districts develop programs of study in civics, areas of civics. Um, also, it, it, it would encourage student, uh, school districts to uh, form master teacher core, uh, a master teacher core, especially for teachers who have that expertise in the areas of, uh, of STEM subject areas, science, technology, engineering, and math, and also the arts. So this is a key concern as well. And if you look at the uh, total of, of the programs that were mentioned for uh, reduction or elimination in the budget request in March, it is significant. So this is something that we have begun to champion already, and I would encourage all school board members from New Jersey to do that as well. Uh, a key policymaker here, of course, is Representative Freilandhausen, who is the chairman of the House Appropriations Committee. And uh, members can go to the NSBA website, it's nsba.org, and access a number of materials. And I know that uh, you all have uh, done so as well with the New Jersey School Boards Association regarding funding and, and, and appropriations and, and the impact of, uh, of this for uh, student success and achievement in our schools. Uh, one more thing on school choice. Uh, uh, I've heard you talk before, and one of the things that I don't think people realize is you talk about the protections that uh, in the that parents may have when the students in the, a public school. But if, the, if they go use a voucher to a private private school, there are some rights that and protections that you may not realize are not the same. Uh, could you explain that? Sure. One example is. IDEA. This is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and this law was, was, was first enacted in 1975, and this governs educational support to students with disabilities. And a number of students who uh, have curricula, who take the curricula under an individualized education plan. And so this law provides um, about $14 billion or so dollars uh, each year to our states and school districts to educate uh, students with disabilities. And so oftentimes there has been a call for vouchers under special education. And if a child is uh, using a voucher and they go to they they go to a private school, they would no longer be covered with those types of protections under IDEA. Um, so that is the concern in terms of the parental rights. Um, and say, for instance, there's been an article that I could uh, call your attention to. It was in the New York Times uh, recently. It was. Uh, actually April 11th, and the example was special ed school vouchers may come with hidden costs, and one of those costs are the, the, some of the, the things that have to be uh, weighed out and, and you really have to be thoughtful about it is um, the protections there and the rights that students would have um, and then the loss of that at a private institution under IDEA. Okay, that's something I don't think most of our people have really thought about. Uh, they kind of look at at the, just the, the loss of funding, but the loss of rights, that's something that parents probably should be made aware of and that we should inform them on. I, I want to move on, though, to you mentioned uh, ESSO, which uh, stands for, for those who don't know. The, the Every Student Succeeds Act. This is the law that Congress enacted in December of 2015, and this 
reauthorize the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, but most importantly and perhaps is what is, is key to a number of your listeners is that this law replaced the No Child Left Behind Act. We had heard a, a lot of concerns and, and about the unintended consequences of NCLB. And so the Every Student Succeeds Act is this uh, new statute that is in place now. And it definitely uh, advances what we discussed earlier, local governance, community ownership of schools, in terms of uh, encouraging states to um, develop state plans that are ideal for the needs of their respective students. Um, everything from English language acquisition for students uh, uh, who, who need that, uh, also for Title I, and then the alignment with programs of study um, in other areas, such as encouraging apprenticeship programs for students who are uh, in career and technical education studies and how this law should align with that, um, the congruencies between these two areas. So this, this, is, uh, this is revamped um, uh, at K through 12 education, and it even includes a component for early education. So uh, that is the Every Student Succeeds Act. Now, I understand that some of the regulations have been either withdrawn or repealed. Which ones uh, are they? Briefly. Sure. So there were three um, regulations that were being developed. Um, only one is in effect, and that was on assessments. These are the tests that our schools uh, administer, the states and school districts administer at the end of the year, the standardized tests that are to measure uh, each student's progress. Um, in terms of proficiency in areas such as reading and mathematics um, and sciences. And so um, that regulation was, uh, is effective now. And the two that were in question were uh, the one on accountability. This one was effective. It became effective under the previous administration. However, um, with the uh, new administration under President Trump, uh, in January there was a, an order where each agency was to review the most recent regulations and those that were pending to become effective and to um, put a hold on their effective date uh, to really see if that was um, what if they were consistent with the goals and the overarching principles of law, such as ESSA, similar to the executive order that we discussed from yesterday. Right. The third one was on uh, supplement, not supplant. And this one had been uh, controversial in the past, simply because um, it would have changed the uh, rules uh, on how uh, equity and, 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 and other things would be compared. And also, it, it, was, it was really changing uh, what had been a general uh, a, a statute or policy for years. Um, supplement not the plant provisions are part of, of a, a law called the General Education Provisions Act, and that is also uh, part of, of ESSA. And it simply says, and this is not only with education programs, but with other federal programs, any federal grant funds or dollars are to be used in addition to state and local resources for uh, education, for our students and school districts. They cannot be used to replace um, state and local uh, funding. 
or state and local per pupil allocations. And so um, the proposal was totally revamping that. There was a lot of concern, and um, the admit, previous administration actually uh, rescinded that, and they withdrew this uh, proposed regulation the uh, Wednesday before, I guess, the last day of uh, the Wednesday before the, the, the uh, inauguration of this uh, year. So that was a, a relief to a number of, uh, of states and school districts. Now, uh, so ESSA, which most is partisan support, I have heard rumors that there were, uh, not rumors, there were proposals to kind of uh, eliminate ESSA uh, from the Congress. Is that Does that have legs or is that just, it, it may pass one house, but it may not go anywhere in the other? <laughs> well, what, what, occurred in terms of the, regula the regulatory policies such as accountability um, in Congress, there was a vote actually in the House and Senate to rescind the accountability regs for schools, and so uh, for states and school districts rather, and this was done through the Congressional Review Act. And many people had never heard of this law before because it had only been used once. And so the Congressional Review Act allows Congress to, to, to look at a regulatory policy, such as accountability. And if it is something that overwhelmingly members of Congress disagree with, um, they have the right to review this. There is, a, I think, a 60 or 90-day uh, timeline there for the review, and then a vote takes place, and based upon the majority of the vote, the regulation is um, rescinded. And that is, of course, what happened uh, several weeks ago with the accountability regs. In terms of the Every Student Succeeds Act, this law was really bipartisan. And it, it, it represented a, a great deal of progress made, um, and, and especially the bipartisanship in the Senate between um, Chairman Lamar Alexander and Senator Patty Murray, and also in the House. And we have to say that for school boards, members of Congress were very receptive to the priority on local governance of school districts. And so, as a matter of fact, there was actually language in uh, there's actually language in ESSA that NSBA provided and worked closely with uh, with both committees in, in a bipartisan way. So um, any type of, of withdrawal of ESSA, I, 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 we certainly would, would not like to see that. And what we've heard and, and seen is, is perhaps a closer review in terms of regulatory policy to ensure that the law is implemented in the um, bipartisan fashion in which it, it, it was developed by members of Congress. All right, let's uh, move to funding. Um, while New Jersey doesn't get a lot of federal funding uh, we're near the bottom. Um, we do, you know, particularly in some of our larger urban districts, do receive quite a bit. Uh, is the Trump administration, I know they're talking about budget cuts in this area, and we talked about that a little bit more likely. Is that in the Title I area, uh, or this is all speculation at this point? For now, we have not seen any proposal to eliminate funding uh, under Title I. The only thing we've seen so far is the proposal to add that $1 billion for the specific area of choice. Um, we've not heard or, or um, 
heard of any type of discussion about limiting the Title I dollars that exist. And at, just as a reference, the funding amount that New Jersey state and school districts received for Title I last year in fiscal year 2016 was about $355.4 million. So definitely a key investment in New Jersey schools and students. Um, while we're on funding, uh, the government, there's, they have to make a decision, you know, there's a threat of a shutdown. Uh, you know, how would that affect education uh, one way or the other? Sure. So Congress is, has returned this week, and they have a, another day or so to finalize uh, a funding bill for the remainder of this fiscal year, fiscal year 2017. Um, what occurred, and this is often the case with the transition to a new administration, Congress may not adopt a full-year funding bill for the, the, the next fiscal year. And so what occurred is that um, Congress adopted a funding bill that would fund education programs and other government operations through April 28th. So this Friday, um, Congress is to pass uh, a bill, it could be a continuing resolution, that's what uh, the, the, the measures are called, where um, education and other programs would be funded through September 30th of this year, the, through the end of fiscal year 2017. And so for education, there is an advantage there. For Title I programs, for Title II, remember that's the teacher quality or teacher, mm -hmm. effective teacher and school leaders grants, these programs are forward funded or advanced funded. Because of the start of the school year um, and, and the difference in the change of the federal fiscal year, which begins October 1st and, and the school year begins before that, um, for years states and school districts have received what we call advanced appropriations. So there is a continuum of funding available, even um, if there is uh, an unforeseen event such as a, a, a temporary federal government shutdown or um, some sort of uh, uh, challenge that would prevent uh, distribution of funds through a, a, a normal schedule. So this, uh, these programs are covered with the exception of one program. And this is key because I... Uh, this is about uh, $15 million for a, a number of school districts in New Jersey, and that is impact aid. The impact aid program benefits uh, school districts and students, families in New Jersey, where uh, the students whose parents or guardians are enlisted in the armed forces, also for students who reside on tribal trust lands, and uh -huh. for school districts that have uh, a large uh, uh, section of federal property within their jurisdiction. And that's where the school district may not receive the property tax revenues that help pay for educational services. With the federal property, that, of course, is exempt from local and state property taxes. And so what the federal government does is provides a payment to those communities in lieu of the property taxes. And that, of course, helps fund education. So this program is not advanced funded. It does not receive advanced appropriations for the upcoming school year. So if uh, there were to be some sort of shutdown, the impact aid payments would stop until um, uh, the 
government would reopen. So that is key for um, for for us. And this is an area well, that, where that does impact some districts severely. Yes. Yes. Right? For yeah. many communities, impact aid payments and federal funding uh, are, are comprise a significant amount of the budget. So um, this was a, several years ago when we were dealing with the sequestration, the issue of sequestration and across-the-board budget cuts, which, uh, by the way, could come up next year, so we have to be vigilant about that. But one of the superintendents from Texas stated that Federal funding accounted for about 50% of the school district's budget at that time, and I think that was around fiscal year 2013 or 14. And so this is key. Um, you see where a number of students uh, receive that, uh, the instruction and the assistance from these programs. This is key. So it, it, it's definitely something that we um, want to be addressed, and we've also been advocating for years for impact aid to receive those advanced appropriations. Um, I, I should have asked this before, but uh, on the funding issue, when you talked about additional funding for vouchers, uh, in a state like New Jersey where we ha haven't had political support for vouchers, um, so if the state doesn't improve, uh, the state legislative bodies and the governor don't have a voucher program, what would happen? I mean, would they just lose the funding that might have went in another area completely, or what? How, can vouchers still occur? Well, that is a couple of things. One, I, I should, I, we need to also establish this, this precedent that there's only one federally funded voucher program currently, and that is for the District of Columbia. It's called the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Program. And you've even had controversy with um, members of the city council, the governing board for the District of Columbia, and, and the, the representative to Congress for the District of Columbia expressed uh, significant concerns about this program and about the progress uh, of that program. So um, there's only one federally funded voucher program. But now within the respective states, we do know where states have um, voucher programs. However, um, this would be totally new. If the federal government were to to fund this, um, uh, this would be something that is, is very new, and we would expect a lot of uh, a statutory language around that. Um, but and, and I do need to stress the position, of course, of NSBA and, and, and New Jersey School Boards Association that um, we are encouraging an advanced dialogue on evidence-based choice options and, and really the choice that we support is within our public school districts. Um, we do not believe that public dollars should be uh, expended for um, uh, for a non-public institutions. And uh, one area of concern is, is simply accountability, um, where there has to be a number of accounting requirements that are adhered to by our public school districts. They don't have to. That isn't the case for uh, non-public institutions other areas in terms of uh, student achievement and, and, and performance measurements. Those are all areas of, of concern. And in terms of, uh, Ray, I want to digress for a moment here, in terms of how we are uh, presenting this argument to members of Congress, um, when we talk about school choice, 
public school districts have been offering choice for <laughs> several, several years. And that includes everything from the public magnet, magnet schools, the charter schools that are authorized by our local school boards. Some school districts have um, public military academies as well. These are our choice areas. And then for many school districts that may not have these types of programs or special schools such as the lab schools, there are specific programs of study, uh, special types of advanced courses and curricula, um, international focus schools as well. I think that's one area uh, in, in uh, Denver public schools. So these are various programs of study that provide choice options to our, our students. And I definitely want to stress that. Um, but back to um, the vouchers, we believe that public funds should not be used directly or indirectly through tax credits, through vouchers, or a choice system for education at uh, a non-public institution. Um, another area in terms of vouchers that we could um, uh, see some, some language on is, is tax reform. This is coming up um, uh, in Congress perhaps in the coming weeks. And that's an area where if there are no direct appropriations for this, uh, for vouchers, it could be in the form of a tax credit. So that's another area that we are oh, okay. looking at. And uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, there's so many other issues I have to get to, so I'm going to try to speed through some. Because um, <laughs> you mentioned uh, child, uh, you know, there's a couple things. Child nutrition is one thing, you know, uh, uh, we receive money for uh, nutrition programs and uh, school lunches and all that. How um, is there a concern in that area? Um, we have not seen uh, efforts yet to resume the reauthorization of the Healthy and Hunger-Free Kids Act. This is the current, uh, that's the name of the um, current child nutrition law. And the committees of jurisdiction are the Senate Agriculture Committee and the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. Um, it, with the previous administration, you all remember where there were regulations out of the Department of Agriculture on sodium and grain targets, reducing the sodium level uh, in, in, in food that is served by our uh, school cafeterias and also um, increasing the grain, uh, multi-grain and, and areas and right. that sort of thing. Right, more health-oriented so, changes. Exactly, exactly. And there was also an effort to try to um, encourage the, uh, in earlier laws, the pilot programs where their um, students had an opportunity to um, uh, even participate in, in uh, locally grown uh, foods and, and to encourage that. So, um, the previous reauthorization last year, year before last, um, it included something that was controversial in the House bill called the Community Eligibility Guidelines. And that would have really affected a number of students who qualify for free and reduced price lunch. And it would have uh, excluded a number of those students that would cur currently receive um, a, a uh, some sort of supplement or, uh, or, or the free and reduced price lunch under this program. So um, that was controversial. And we are not sure what the uh, draft legislation could look like coming up, but this is another thing to be aware of. The 
concern also was trying to meet the budgetary targets uh, for child nutrition in the Senate bill. And the committee had gone back to sort of um, review the bill because once they had looked at it and uh, were, I guess, ready for committee consideration and Senate floor consideration, that's what occurred in terms of um, the, the budgetary parameters of, of, of the bill. So this is where we expect the House and Senate to begin again with child nutrition. Um, the key concern for us is to encourage Congress um, and the new administration to enact a bipartisan CNA bill or child nutrition uh, a bill that provides that flexibility and relief for our school districts to administer school meal programs. Um, with the previous administration and the sodium and grain targets, NSBA had been successful in getting a waiver for a number of school districts that needed the additional time to adjust mm -hmm. to the, the new regulations. Um, a key priority here is increasing the reimbursement levels to cover the cost of, of compliance. The reimbursement for uh, school uh, meals is, is not as, uh, the amount is not as uh, big or or the amount that some people would, would think. So this is where the Department of Agriculture provides our school districts and school food authorities with a portion of the funds that are used for each meal that is uh, provided to students. And then the second priority here is authorizing our school districts to make implementation feasible with federal resources. And again, that's the flexibility for the whole grain content and sodium reduction targets and then also increasing that stakeholder engagement. Any opportunity where um, our school boards can be effective in providing um, comments and guidance to federal agencies in this area to talk about the impact of what proposed regulations would mean to their uh, districts and students is, is always uh, encouraged, and, and that's something we welcome uh, when uh, dealing with areas such as child nutrition. Now, uh, as I've listened to you, uh, there seems to be a couple of themes, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. One, there's not a lot of specifics on the direction. There's hints in areas of school choice, hints on <laughs> funding cuts, hints on child nutrition, hints uh, we didn't even get to the E-rate. But we don't really have anything specific yet. Uh, a major concern, though, is, uh, and probably in all these areas, if, if you cut the budgets across the board, uh, it's, you can't really implement what you already have now because it would, I guess, be a little bit difficult if you're doing a 10% cut. I'm just throwing out a number. Uh, a 10% cut across and then increasing funding in other areas. So that is the concern that people or board should be at least be monitoring uh, to see what becomes more of a reality in terms of proposals. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, what we know now from the blueprint um, is that in addition to that uh, $2.4 billion target for teacher quality or effective teacher and school leader programs and um, 21st century community learning centers that provide the after-school services to our students, we know that's about $3.4 billion. And then with other areas, um, this is significant. You could be looking at um, a, a cut of, of more uh, or around $4 billion within um, education programs K through 12, and this is significant. But also, um, I, I do want to point out that this is a budget request to Congress, and oftentimes what is requested by administration is not always granted by Congress. So um, this is where 
the involvement and engagement with members of Congress and their staff in the development of a budget and also with the appropriations committees um, regarding the funding levels that are allocated for each program is significant. It's necessary. Um, it's anything but calling uh, members of Congress, sending an email, um, making sure that you know the name of the staff person who um, handles or staffs that your member of Congress for uh, if they sit on education committees or the appropriations committee or the House and Senate budget committee. This is crucial and get to know the staff, be engaged, let them know how these programs benefit students. If there has been an increase in your school district's graduation rates and Title I has contributed to that, please note that. This is always helpful. The anecdotal evidence and the real world examples and success stories are what we need to champion these investments and ensure that they are maximized, especially in the coming years. All right, we're coming towards the close. I didn't get to a couple of the issues I wanted to get to, like health care. Uh, so our mem members should be watching what happens in the health care <laughs> reform uh, because that's a program in and of itself, I think, with the Cadillac tax and Medicaid reimbursements and all that. Uh, so I guess, uh, um, first of all, Deborah, I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, and second, I guess your message is stay tuned because this will probably be developing over the, the rest of the year. And to contact NSBA or NJSBA. Uh, uh, to, to contact NSBA if they have questions or New Jersey School Board Association. But stay tuned for the next, I guess, uh, eight months or so or to see how things develop over the course of the, this year. Exactly. And if uh, people would like more information about uh, these uh, priority issues, please uh, go to our website, nsba.org slash advocacy, and we have additional information there about uh, ESSA, implementation, child nutrition, and federal investments for education programs as well as other issues. Okay, Deborah, that brings us to the conclusion. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Uh, if anyone has any other questions, uh, she gave you the way to contact uh, NSBA, but you can also reach out to the New Jersey School Board Association. Uh, we have a partnership with uh, NSBA, and we will uh, get the information out to you. Thank you, and I hope everyone has a good uh, good day. Thank you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.